I'm glad to be here. Uh, as uh, Stella said, that um, I knew Matt back in uh, Phoenix, and uh, when I heard he was coming to Oklahoma City, I, I told him if he needed me to help him introduce him around, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, since I've been here about a year now, I thought, okay, I have a little bit of advantage. Uh, no, my wife and I, my wife Debbie here in the back, and um, if, if you see her sneak out, it's not because I said something embarrassing or frustrating, it's because she takes care of uh, five-year-olds, not, I mean, she teaches five-year-olds in the next uh, hour, so she, she has to slip out just a little bit in, ahead of that. Um, I, like I said, I've been here about a year now, Oklahoma City, moved from Phoenix, Arizona, and the, the time when I came to interview for the position that I now have at Feed the Children, uh, they flew me in on a Sunday night and said, won't you drive around on Monday, and then Tuesday we'll have all day to, uh, we'll be in interviews all day long. I said, Okay. Uh, well, I knew George Scramstep from years ago, and so when I was coming, I, I called George and said, hey, George, I'm going to be in town, would love to have lunch with you. So that Monday, George and I had lunch, and um, so uh, another friend of mine, Steve Childs, who's the pastor at Chartel down on the south side of town, I called him and said, hey, I'd love to visit with you. So I was going to have coffee with him in the afternoon. So I, I met George here at the church, and I start driving down Hefner, and um, it starts raining really hard. Now, remember, in Phoenix, it doesn't rain a lot, so this was a little unusual for me. But then this ice started falling from the sky, which I wasn't quite sure what that was. Uh, but I knew I had a rental car, and this probably wasn't a good thing. And so I was about 122nd Street, and I saw a bunch of cars pulled over under the overpass, and so that, oh, I'll just stop here for a moment, let the hail, you know, stop, and then I'll head on down. So I knew I was going to be late, so I called Steve and said, hey, you know, it's raining, and blah, 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 I'm going to be a little bit late, so we're chatting for a moment, and all of a sudden I hear a siren. I look around, and there ain't no fire trucks around, and uh, Steve goes, oh my gosh, I got to go, and he hangs up on me. I thought, this is probably not a good thing. Uh, so I turned the radio on, and we have great, uh, great weather men here, but they always talk in county names. And if you're a visitor, you have no idea what's going on. And um, the, the day was May 20th last year that I was here. And so uh, I finally figured out what was going on. I get back to the hotel just in time to turn the weather channel on and, and see the tornado hit more. So I sent a text to my wife and said, hey, I just want you to know I'm okay. She texts back, hey, I'm, I'm okay too. Hope you have a good day. <laughs> um, so it's like, well, if you, when you get home tonight, if you happen to turn the news on, just, you know, wouldn't you know I'm okay. Well, about three minutes later, I get a call and... Um, you know, I explained what was going on, and she looked it up and saw this tornado hitting Oklahoma City. And right there I said, hey, do you want me to just figure out how to get out of here and just come home and forget about this? And she said, no, I really do believe God is calling us to Oklahoma City. And um, 
And maybe God is just speaking to us in the storm like he did Job. And so we, we're here. We're glad we're here. Uh, one of the first people that I met, George introduced me to, was um, Bud and Carol Heinrich, who are members of this class. And they became our realtors. So they invited us to class. So my first Sunday here, uh, came into class, met Steve, and uh, friendship began with Steve that uh, has continues to grow uh, over this past year. So I'm really glad to be here today and uh, really glad to open God's Word with you. And uh, we're following a, a particular curriculum here, and we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If anybody looked ahead, you'll, you'll notice that this is the passage that Paul talks about taking up an offering. Now, when I saw the curriculum, and Steve had asked me a couple of weeks ago if I would teach today, I thought, okay, he just doesn't want to talk about money. So he's going to let the substitute come in and talk about money. And uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it is interesting that this is one of the subjects that None of us will uh, dare say it's a taboo subject in the church, but yet we act like it is. And I read a book several years ago about uh, stewardship and the biblical responsibilities of stewardship. And the author of this book said that most pastors, usually if they do talk about money, it's at the wrong time. The only time they talk about money is if the budget is low or if there's a capital campaign. And yet, how we deal with finances and stewardship is such a core part of our discipleship and, and our forming in the image of Christ. And this author said, perhaps one of the reasons pastors are leery of talking about money is they're not trained in seminary. And this author said that most uh, pastors who go through seminary get less than six hours of any sort of biblical study about stewardship. Well, I questioned that. And so I was um, having coffee with uh, Dr. Dave Sebastian, who is the uh, recently retired dean of the seminary at uh, Anderson University. And I told him what I read and asked him, what do you think about that? He said, now you're talking six credit hours or six classroom hours? I said, well, I don't know. What do you think? He said, well, six classroom hours, maybe. Six credit hours, definitely not. And so the, it, it, I think that's an unfortunate situation that, that we in the church, and, and because of this lack of understanding of biblical stewardship, then it becomes this taboo type conversation, or it becomes a conversation that's only had when the budget is, is uh, not being met or there's a capital campaign. And I think it's okay to talk about it in those two times, but if that's the only two times we talk about biblical stewardship, I think we're missing the boat. So we're going to look at this passage here in uh, 2 Corinthians. A uh, little, little bit of background, just a reminder here. So the church in Corinth was established on Paul's second missionary venture. Um, you know, there, there's two books that uh, are two letters that, that Paul had written. Uh, the church in Corinth 
uh, Corinth was a very metropolitan uh, community. Uh, they, the Romans, uh, a lot of their retired military people uh, retired in Corinth. It was kind of at a cross-section uh, economically and business-wise, so there were a lot of business transactions. Uh, a lot of slaves were brought into this community. So we have a very, very wide demographic mix of people. Freed people, slaves, rich, poor, Romans, non-Romans. And this is the same mix that, that made up the church. So in Corinth, there was a very demographically uh, balanced uh, uh, church, and they had their problems. And of course, you know, 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to try to address some of the issues that they were having. And 2 Corinthians is a letter that uh, starts out primarily, uh, Paul is being challenged. His authority is being challenged to lead this church. Now, he, he's no longer in Corinth. Most likely, he's either in Ephesus or he could be in Rome when this letter is written. And he's trying to... Um, help lead them at a distance. And the church is beginning to reject Paul. Um, Paul says, you know, I'm not a fancy speaker. You know, I, I didn't come with all my credentials to try to persuade you to follow Christ. I just came with the message. And there were others who came in after Paul left who were just creating some problems in the church. And uh, so... Th the uh, passages, you know, in, in uh, chapter 3, 4, and 5, 6, where Paul's talking about reconciliation, uh, he's speaking from his heart. This is a group of people that he loves, that, that he knows at one time they had a deep love for the Lord. He sees them being distracted by false teachers, and his heart is breaking. And so the first part of this letter, he, he's just, a, he, he's pleading that we might reconcile. And in chapter 8, it takes a little bit of a twist, uh, turn now in this, in this chapter. And what we find here is Paul is asking the church in Corinth to take up an offering for the church in Rome. So that's the setting and the context that we have here. And what I'd like to do is, as a group is... Uh, we're, we're, it's okay to talk back, uh, you know, so I want you to uh, feel free to, to jump in here. And we're going to look at this passage together. So the first, I, I broke it down into kind of four different uh, categories that I, I kind of see the, the focus. You know, if I read the whole passage, I see, I think I see what Paul's trying to say here. So... Uh, let's start with, you know, the Macedonian example. What was Paul saying here? And, uh, Bob, I think you're our number one reader. So if you would read 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 for us.
Okay, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, what are some of the key thoughts or phrases or words in, the, in these first five verses that uh, Paul is highlighting as an example? Any thoughts here? Uh, extreme poverty. So he, he said it wasn't because they were rich that they were taking up or, or willing to give an offering, but it was because of their poverty. Isn't that interesting? We think that really in today's economy that it's the rich that should be, you know, uh, throwing more in the, hot, in the hat. But Paul is saying it was out of their poverty. Oops. Okay, there, there's, uh, I'll say right now, there's a three-foot rule. Um, anytime you're within three feet of a whiteboard, your ability to spell and write just goes out the door. So, um, and this marker's a little dry, so I'll tie another one here. So it was out of their poverty that they gave. What else do we see here? Generosity. Generosity. That, that in spite of their own deep poverty, the Macedonians gave with a generous spirit. And with joy. They pleaded. I, I, I'm, I'm reading the English Standard Version. And the word for pleading there is they begged. They begged, please, let us participate in this offering. They responded because of the grace of God. They gave themselves first unto the Lord. What do you think that means, first to the Lord? Right. This first, I think Paul is saying here, this first to the Lord is saying, I give because I want to follow the Lord's example. You know, so often, and, now, and I'll tell you, professionally, I'm in the fundraising business, okay? So often, what organizations, churches, uh, nonprofit organizations do is they promote need. And yet, what is Paul He's promoting the Lord. Why do you give? Because look at the example that the Lord gave. He's not talking about need. I mean, later he, he justifies and says, there is a real need there. I want you to know that. But that wasn't the primary motivation. The motivation was because we've committed to follow Christ. And if I'm going to emulate the character of Christ then that has to impact my pocketbook. John Wesley is, is quoted for having said there's two conversions, first of the soul and the second of our checkbook. And I think, well, he said pocketbook, but um, I think that's so true, particularly in, North, in the church in North America today, that we, we, we have this distinction between here's what I do on Sunday, uh, here's, here's how I manage my finances, 
and then we don't even think about it the rest of the week for the most part. What's uh, another word? Generosity. What, what does that mean? Pat? With pleasure. Okay. Any other thoughts on generosity? Pardon? Willingly. Does generosity, does that define an amount? No. Generosity means because of the joy, because of the grace, because of the example of Christ, I give. You know, probably, again, fundraisers, what we do is we talk about recency, frequency, and amount. So we talk about, um, and we always talk about transactions, not relationships. And here, Paul's talking about a relationship with Christ, a relationship with our brothers in Rome. And yet, even Christ-centered organizations talk about recency, frequency, and amount. And, and, and if we use that paradigm, for instance, who would have found the kid with two fish and five loaves? Who would have recognized the widow who dropped the two cents in the kettle at the temple? And in, in, in our current thinking today, oh, we're appreciative, thank you, you know. But, but we don't recognize the generosity. And that's what I think Paul's talking about here. It's not about the amount, it's the spirit with which we act, the generosity. Any other comments before we go to the next few verses? Yes. I think so. I. If we, I mean, we do our tithe and we give gifts, but in our everyday lives, we see need. Yes, I think the the comment was: Could it be that uh, they were looking with the eyes of Jesus, and sometimes perhaps we don't look at around with the eyes of Jesus? I I believe so. In fact, that's part of my my personal prayer life: is God. Help me to see those around me today as you see. Because it's really hard. In our, in our dominant culture today, we see those around us based on the boxes that have been formed for us. We look at profession. We look at status. We look at power. We look at possessions. We look at uh, roles in the church, functions in the community. We look at all this other criteria that I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm not sure that's the primary focus when God says, look, I love them all the same. My son died for the criminal. And by the way, just because you didn't murder somebody, what makes you think you're any better? Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. See, we, we, even though we, we will intellectually say, oh, no, we've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. You know, we don't categorize sins. You know, God doesn't. But we still do. You know, we say this sin is worse than this sin. And uh, so if you're homosexual, uh, you're worse than me, the glutton. And... and and most of us are okay with that. 
because you are abusive, your sins are worse than my greed. I, I'm, I don't think God sees it that way. Paul, in, in, in the book of Romans, Paul says, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we still kind of rank and file these sins so that we can make ourselves feel better than somebody else. Uh, or we know how to put them in their place. Or we know how to keep distance so we don't have to be in relationship. And God says, look, my son died for, for all of them. Who are you to withhold the grace, my grace? Excellent observation. Okay, let's uh, read verses 6 through 9. Would somebody like to, to read that for us? Good, verse 9. Okay, so in this first part, we see that the Macedonians gave with a generous spirit. Uh, gifts were way beyond their ability to give. Uh, they asked with much urgency to be allowed to give. And before giving monetarily, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Okay, so now here in this, in this second, what are some words or thoughts or ideas that pop out to you? That, how is, what is Paul saying to challenge the church here? He sent somebody. Okay, Titus wasn't, wasn't a stranger. Um, sometimes I think we need encouragement when it comes to, to learning about how to become, because naturally we're not generous. In fact, if you doubt that, go ahead and follow my wife out when she goes down to the five-year-old Sunday school class here in uh, 30 minutes, and you will see by human nature we are not particularly generous. We are typically selfish. It's mine, 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 okay? Some things I think we don't grow out of naturally, and it's only by the, the, the transformative power of the gospel, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in our lives do we move beyond being the selfish individual that, uh, that we were born with that attitude um, due to the Adam's sin, so we all inherit this selfishness, and it won't change without some catalyst or catalytic agent. And, and, and Paul is saying, it's the gospel. And sometimes we need people to remind us of that. I think it's so, that's why it's so important that pastors and leaders talk about stewardship. Paul sent Titus. Said, look, 
I want him to remind you of some things. What were some of the things that Titus was going to remind him and talk about? Some of those we, we already mentioned. How were they to give? Joyously. They were to give They were to give joyously. Was he compelling them to give? Did, did he mandate it? So it's not a command. It's an opportunity. You know, sometimes I think when we talk about this concept of stewardship, we think of, okay, I give my tithe, you know, et cetera, et cetera, as if that's a legal requirement. Now, the tithe was a legal re requirement in the Old Testament, but when we, what Paul is saying here is, and, and I think this is a, 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 a broad principle here. God is not saying, I need your tithe because I'm not going to be able to function without it. Now, now, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, I don't think needs my 10%. But God is saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to participate in my mission. And it's good for you. See, one of the solutions, I have a, an engineer friend, um, and years ago, uh, he, would, he would always say, the solution to pollution is dilution. Okay? If I have a cup here, and it's got some oil in it, I can't get the oil out of this glass of water. I mean, I can't reach in and take it out. So how do I resolve this issue? I put more in it to dilute it, and eventually the oil is gone. I think that's what Paul's, Paul's talking about here, this generosity, this giving with a joyful heart becomes part of the solution to our selfishness, to our pride, to, to, to thinking what, what I have in my checking account is mine. I mean, for true Christ followers, at some point, I think we recognize it's all God's. Because I certainly ain't taking any of it with me. I, mean, I haven't seen a U-Haul truck behind a hearse lately. I don't know if maybe some of you have. But it typically doesn't go with you. And so this solution to pollution, the pollution of our heart, this, this greed, this selfishness, I think part of what God is saying here in this passage is generosity. And not just the act of giving, but giving with joy and out of a free and willing spirit, not because you're commanded to, and you think it's a law that you must obey or your salvation is in jeopardy. And I know there are some, and I don't want to 
pick on other brothers and sisters of the faith, but there are some denominations who um, I, I personally think they, get, they go over that line and um, where, where the teaching is that a tithe is part of your proof that you've been saved and sanctified. I'm not sure that's what Paul... In fact, I'm pretty sure that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm asking you to give. I'm not commanding you, but I'm asking you to participate in what God is wanting to do. Okay, before my time gets away, let's, uh, let's move the 2 Corinthians 2, verses, uh, uh, chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. Would somebody read those for us? Okay, so what, what's Paul talking about here? What, what's important here in this passage, in these th- uh, three verses? Finish the work. What do you think that means? Is it finish the work of salvation? Is that what Paul's saying? So they need to complete. He's saying, look, you made a commitment. You said you were going to do something. Follow through with it. Now, and I don't want anybody to raise their hands, because I'd be the first one to do this. Um, But I know sometimes churches will... Uh, and there are some churches who, um, prior to setting their budget for the following year, they'll ask for pledges from the congregation. Now, in, in one sense, it, it, it kind of helps to make sure you stay in the black um, and gives you an idea. I, I think it maybe takes faith out of it a little bit of how God's going to provide. But there are some times who commit some people who commit to a pledge, whether it's to regularly give or perhaps for a building fund campaign, who for whatever reason don't always finish that, that pledge. And Paul is, is just saying, look, don't commit more than what, what you you're prayerfully think God is asking you to do. But what you commit, then do it. You know, um, one of the things that we've, we've done, uh, we did in Phoenix quite often, um, was in the church there, we had what we call faith promise. And, and in that idea of a faith promise was, uh, and, and we would ask people to consider if God provides something that you weren't expecting or above and beyond, somehow, some way, would you commit that as a gift to the Lord? 
Um, and actually, I think it, it's a very biblical way to, to do some fundraising. And some of the stories that came out of um, some of the individuals who made this faith promise, and they got a bigger bonus than they ever dreamed of. Okay, it's kind of easy to make a, a faith promise when you don't have the money in the bank. And then when you get a five-figure bonus that you weren't expecting, to say, oops, maybe, maybe I'll tithe on that. I think Paul is saying, if you make a promise, it says, when you make a promise to your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's as if you're making a promise to God. Just complete it. Be careful about what you say you're going to do. I know sometimes, um, you know, I've been a part of meetings where there's a lot of emotion and enthusiasm, and and um, and I think sometimes people get carried away in the moment, and they they make commitments that um, you know probably weren't reasonable. I'm not sure they were prayerful, and I'm never going to question that. But what I always encourage is, before you make a commitment, pray about it. And this idea of a faith promise, I think that's a, that, that's a great way to begin saying to God, okay, enough's enough. Anything above, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to the Lord's work. Again, John Wesley, when he was a very young man, um, and I think, I think, Terry, you shared this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, he figured out how much he needed to live on. Was it 27 pounds a year? And, um, and, and then for the rest of his career, he capped his lifestyle at 27 pounds. And there were some years where he was making hundreds and even thousands of pounds. But he kept his, I think he did bump it to two pounds at some point. A little bit of inflation in there maybe. But the idea was, have that conversation. Have that conversation with your family, with God. What, when is enough enough? And then, and then make that commitment. And if you make that commitment, just complete it. And, and I think those kinds of activities put us in, in, in place for the Holy Spirit to begin transforming us in ways beyond our imagination. Because quite frankly, I can't do that on my own. I'm, I'm the kind that would be really easy to say, oh yeah, if I get a bonus, I'll, uh, I'll give it to the Lord. And then when I get it, uh, rationalize why I shouldn't be giving it all away. Because I know myself. And sometimes it's a matter of discipline. Sometimes it's a matter of commitment that you make with your, your spouse or significant uh, person in your life to, to hold us accountable to those kinds of things. Okay, let's look at these last uh, two verses here. In verse 13 and 14. Would somebody read those for us?
Okay, what's Paul saying here with regard to the desired outcome? Equality, all needs to be met. Okay, I'm going to suggest to you that this idea of equality is not a um, political or economic uh, form of communism or socialism. I think the, the idea of equality is that we are all equally called. We are all equally been invited by the God of the universe to participate in the Missio Dei, his mission of expanding the kingdom of God. We are all equally called to address that selfish uh, aspect of our character that's part of our human nature. We are all equally been invited. We all equally have the power of the gospel to change our lives, to transform our lives. So when we read this, I, 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 for me, I, again, my interpretation, it, this, this is not a socialistic political system that I think Paul is advocating. But he does say that when we equally respond to the nature of uh, uh, the invitation of God to join the Missio Dei, when we equally respond to the gospel, that God's kingdom will expand and needs will be met. There's a concept out. Um, actually, it's been around. There's a term I heard. Uh, actually, it came up again in conversation at work the other day. The idea of pay it forward. Anybody ever heard that, that comment? Pay it forward? Um, there was a movie. Actually, I think it was 19... Back in the 80s or 90s or something like that. Uh, and it was called pay it forward. Anybody know what pay it forward means? You know, conceptually? Uh, Pat? Okay, you, right. You give it and you get it. Okay, there's a couple of ways it's been, um, and this, this idea actually goes back, I think it's biblical, but uh, some of the research that I was, I've found is um, there were actual, um, in some commercial business loans, at one point in history, there were certain loans that as they were given, the idea was rather than repaying the the creditor or or the debt the creditor, the idea was take that and and pay somebody else, give them the same benefit. One of the programs that we have at Feed the Children, um, particularly in our international programs, is uh, some are some livelihood projects, and one of them is raising chickens. Now, in most of the parts of the world. Uh, chicken is pretty much an acceptable food, and it's plentiful, and and it's about the right size for a family because you don't. You know, some of the the uh, poor parts of the world don't have refrigeration or refrigerators, so anything that isn't consumed at one sitting typically spoils. So chicken is 
is it's just a really good sized meal for a family. And so what we what we do is we provide a grant. Um, there's some qualifications, and fa uh, different families have to participate in some training. They have to learn about how to care for a chicken, how to gather the eggs. They have to build a coop. So there's no way to collect chicken eggs if you don't know where they're laid. So when you build a coop, it's pretty easy to find the eggs. And so they, they, if they um, are given this grant, they get 10 chickens to begin their um, developing this, this livelihood program. It helps address the, the food insecurity needs for the family. They start eating the eggs, et cetera. Uh, a, a, a hen will lay for about 18 months. <clears throat> when it's no longer laying, then it becomes dinner. That's right. Um, and the way they repay this grant is they provide their neighbor with 10 chickens. And they give them the training of how to care for these chickens as well. And then the way that neighbor repays is they pay their neighbor with 10 chickens. So it's this idea of pay it forward. Uh, ben Franklin talked about the idea of pay it forward. I mean, th this is not a new concept. But the idea is that you've been blessed in a certain way. And the way to, to respond is to bless somebody else and pass that blessing on. In Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I will bless you that you might be a blessing to all nations. God instituted this concept of pay it forward way back in Genesis. And, and there, there, I remember when I was... Uh, between my sophomore and junior year in college, I went to Anderson University. Sorry, Morgan. Uh, uh, but I went to Anderson University, and that summer I went on what they called a camp tour. So I went out, I represented the school, and I worked in youth camps around the country. And we had a, actually my, my friend and I, we had a week off in Northern California, and I have an uncle there. And so we spent the week with my uncle, and you know, did, he lived in Sacramento, and so we did the whole San Francisco thing and just had a great time. Went to church with my uncle, who went to a Lutheran church, and he introduced me to a friend of his and said, yeah, John's here, he's you know, doing this summer camp thing. And this guy pulls out his wallet and hands me a $20 bill and said, I think that is just awesome. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Okay, now, in the mid-'70s, $20 was that's, it's like giving somebody 100 today. And he didn't know me. I didn't ask for the money. But he said, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Now, that had such an impression on me. That same $20 bill has been passed on many, many, many times. And I'm not bragging, I'm just saying there are some ways that when we think about how we can pay it forward, some things become very, very obvious. I want to close out our time today. If, if our video thing works, this is a, I got a little clip here from 
uh, one of my favorite plays called Le Miserable. And uh, I think this little, it's a three-minute clip, I think expresses part of what I think Paul was trying to help us communicate here. So if I can make it work, we're going to watch this little movie here. this little movie. Oh, here it is. Sorry, I can't quite see how to make it larger. Well, I apologize. It doesn't look like it's working. Too. I'm not the uh, techie here. What's happening in this particular scene, if you've seen the movie or the play, um, the, the priest has, uh, took Jean-Claude in, or Jean took him in because he was hungry, and fed him. And then in the middle of the night, he stole the silver from, from the church. At this point, the police capture him, and they bring him back to the priest, uh, expecting that the priest was going to condemn him. And the priest says, oh, no, no, I gave him that. In fact, you forgot to take the silver candlesticks. And he sent uh, the nun in to grab the silver candlesticks and bring them to him. And at the end of this scene... He says, you've been given much. Much will be required. You said you would become a changed man. I'm holding you to that. This is what grace is. We all have received more than what we deserve. We've all received more than we can ever pay back. And part of what God's economic plan and spiritual plan and plan to expand the kingdom throughout this world is this idea of pay it forward. We've been blessed to be a blessing to others. We've been blessed financially, some of us. 
but we've all been blessed with the grace of God and in knowing that the gospel is the only answer for the world and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way that our lives can be transformed. Let me pray. God, thank you for your message. Thank you that as we look at our lives, we know that we fall short, but yet we are loved. That your grace and mercy is extended to each and every one of us. That the transforming power of the gospel is ours. I pray as we leave this place, that your Holy Spirit might continue to work in our hearts and minds. That we may move closer to the image of your Son. And that we may pay it forward in the kingdom of God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.